Attention Kroger shoppers. Did you know there's a world of innovative services and patient care right in store? It's where an award-winning pharmacy and nationally recognized care come together. Connect with one of our licensed pharmacists today at your local Kroger and experience the care you and your family deserve. Kroger Health. A world of care is in store. Services and availability vary by location. Age and other restrictions may apply. For coverage, consult your health insurance company. Visit the pharmacy or our site for details. So good afternoon, everyone, and thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, this is Sylvia Mora on our NeuroDigest, as usual, on the Special Needs Hangout, where we try and support everyone as a caregiver, as parents, whichever side of, of, of the divide you are on, but we're in this together as we try and cope and understand our special needs children. And today we are greatly honored uh, to have Dr. Susan Guamidi, who is a pediatric neurologist developmental neurologist. Susan, you will say the right one, but all those mixed up. Because <laughs> you know the way doctors keep adding, specializing and stuff like that. So she's going to tell us about that in detail. But today we'll just be discussing milestones. What do you expect? What if it doesn't happen? What rehabilitation measures can I take to try and see that my child gets to where they're supposed to be and at least be as comfortable as possible? So if you have any questions, rules of the house, uh, raise your hand or go to the DM and just drop your question, then we can address them. All right, so that we will be able to move forward. And as usual, we have our very awesome Maureen Maita, who is our sign language interpreter because we are focusing on inclusion. So we have to make sure that is happening also. So Maita, thank you for always being there. And Dr. Terry, now the flow is yours. I'm sending it over to you. So tell us, educate us. All right. So good afternoon, everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for the invite, Sylvia. Uh, so today I'm just going to be going through uh, what we can do as families to pro uh, promote um, healthy child development, uh, even though your child may be developing um, on their own uh, trajectories, but just what you can do and uh, trying to um, reduce even stigmas that parents may have that are unconscious towards what their, child's, their children are able to do. And so I'm just going to share my screen. So uh, we'll just start. Um, so it's a pleasure to be here and about uh, how we can promote healthy child development. And as I said, I'm a pediatrician, and my goal is to always maximize the child's functioning, um, at the same time supporting so just a bit in the introduction, uh, so the brain controls all areas of a child's development and there are five different domains that we look at. And just as a summary, the gross motor skills are how a child is able to use the large muscle groups that we use for sitting, uh, for standing and for walking. So when a child is growing, we tend to they grow from the head going down. So usually your neck gets stronger, then your trunk gets stronger, and then your legs. So that's how we, uh, we develop typically. And of course, for children based on either a genetic condition or even an acquired condition, for the children who get um, infections or head injuries, um, those things can be uh, affected. And then the second part is the fine motor. So the fine motor is how an individual uses their hands uh, for self-care. 
So something involves how they're using their hands and even and there's those there's the hand icon coordination to be able to dress yourself, to eat, uh, to feed yourself, or even bathing. And that's very important even for a child to feel like they're able to um, take care of themselves. And uh, and usually that again develops from head down. And based on whatever the special needs are, how do we help the student be able to achieve this either by um, assistive devices or even on their own. And then the third domain is speech and language, and that involves receptive communication, which means it's understanding what someone else is saying to you. And then there's expressive, and expressive language can be both verbal, uh, where you're um, talking to someone else, or nonverbal, where you're using your hands to gesture or you're nodding your head and eye contact. Those are ways in which we communicate with other people. And children can have, depending on the condition uh, challenges, either with understanding because either they are hearing impaired or the way they process language in their brains is a bit different. And, and that can affect even how they verbalize or uh, are non-verbal. And, um, and there are ways that we are able to support the student through either uh, speech therapy or even using communicative devices. Uh, with a cognitive domain, where this is where how you think, how you solve problems, and of course, it translates into your academic, your ability to do a job. And um, that can be affected again by things that happen um, either in genetics or acquired um, conditions. And we tend to support these children in the learning environment by either uh, doing ensuring that we understand what their learning abilities are like and their learning profiles and how to support them in their learning. The other domain is your social emotion, your social emotional domain. This is where you learn how to social, social interact with an individual. And that also translates into the behavior or what uh, society may term good behavior or bad behavior. But for every behavior, there's a reason the child is manifesting. And for us is to figure out what the trick of the behavior is and so that we can uh, be able to assist them to interact with their environment. Now, children with special needs may have more than one domain affected. And every intervention is personalized to the child's needs. And that's something that's important to remember that it's not only one area that can be affected, uh, it can be multiple and we need to investigate and figure out which ones work with the child that's in front of us. So special needs children have conditions that affect their tra trajectories of development into adulthood. And that's something to remember that the child is constantly growing and changing. And so with each uh, milestone or whether you're coming from being a baby to a preschooler, to primary school, to secondary school, to high school, there are changes that are going on with the brain as you grow. And so those changes can be affected based on uh, what has happened to the child, like I said before, either an injury or something genetics. But what's very important to remember is that no matter what neurodevelopmental disorder you have, most children and youth share the same similar functional needs that we need to address. So my talk today is a bit different because I'm trying to um, make it uh, like wholesome for everybody and to uh, so that it doesn't matter whether your special needs child has super palsy or Down syndrome or autism, that children have similar functional needs because that's what makes us human. And therefore, effective intervention should target aspects of their development with a goal of getting them as independent as we possibly can because always the child parents are looking at the child when they're 18 years old. What can we do today to better prepare them for the time when they are legally seen as an adult 
and uh, now, even when they are toddlers, to help them achieve those uh, milestones. So the World Health Organization in 2001 uh, changed how we perceive health and disease. So there's the International Classification of Functioning, Health and Disability, which describes someone's uh, level of functioning as interaction between the health condition, whether it's Down syndrome, CP or autism, and the consequences of that health condition and how they interact within the environment and how even their personal factors like the things that they're interested in, how do we support that? And the set of ideas were geared towards looking at function rather than disability. And that's the reason why it's termed ICF, is that our goals nowadays since 2001 is to look at how the child is functioning. And this provides an innovative way to provide holistic and a strengths-based approach. And what I mean by strengths-based is that what is your child good at and how do we strength and how do we support that? And then what are the areas that they're having challenges in and how do we adapt either the environment or the equipment in order to be able to maximize their function? And this approach to child development is geared towards children who are experiencing challenges. So um, uh, in 2012, um, Rosenbaum and Gotter, who are developmental pediatricians in Canada, they adapted uh, the F words into the ICF framework, where here you can see it's any health condition, as I've mentioned, either cerebral palsy or autism, and how their body structure and function interacts with the activity that they're interested in doing, their participation with friends and family, and, um, and the personal things that they want to do with the goal of getting this child towards the future that they want. And so, uh, like I said, we've changed how we view children with special needs by mostly focusing on function. And this is something I'm really passionate about for anyone who knows me and why I keep to the WHO concept of activity, where activity refers to being able to execute a task or an action by an individual. And what happens sometimes is that children with special needs can be deprived of the experience. Either due to the function, you're, you're unable to move your hands in an appropriate manner just because of the injury in your brain. Or even uh, sometimes our parents, because we love our children, we tend to do everything for them. And what happens is that this limits, limits their chances to actually. For any uh, child, we have to give the opportunity to try and put on that soul, try and put on that shoe, so that as they practice and practice, they'll problem solve and finally get it done and that gives them a sense of competency and we want them to feel good about the things that they're able to do so i tell parents it is okay for a child to do things in a different way but the emphasis is is the child can do the activity that they're interested in whether it's in art or, or, or music and not how well they're doing it so you can see the image that i have here um, i have two images of one child on a mobility device this ability this mobility device enables them to access their environment. And being able to access the environment is especially important for a child to feel that there's some control to um, the things that they are doing. And on the other uh, side, you see a screen, which is a communication device, where a child who is non-verbal is able to communicate uh, their needs, their thoughts, their wants. And what these devices have allowed is that children who um, get to use the device, um, are able to tell parents that before they felt locked in and able to share their thoughts and feelings, and it actually gives them that sense of uh, satisfaction to be able to uh, communicate to their families. So sometimes people are hesitant for using the devices because they want uh, the child to talk, but like I've said, 
we don't emphasize on what the child can't do, but how do we get them as we are doing speech therapy? How do we get them to communicate if they want to milk versus juice, if they want to understand versus a samosa? So the communication device allows them to participate in um, the family environment. And then for the interventions that we focus on are based on functional goals within the child's environment. For example, for a child who has an adolescent who has cerebral palsy and they, they have um, their hand, their wrist tends to drop. And if that happens, what do we do to be able to allow them to use, for example, their computer in school? So we're able to give uh, Botox, which is a medication that helps reduce this, what we call uh, spasticity, which is an increased tone in the arm that's, uh, that's not allowing them to be able to stretch their fingers nicely to use their device. So we're able to come up with a functional goal for the parents where we're like, this is the medication so that you have access to things or the games that they're interested in playing. The second example I'd like to give is like having uh, in an ideal situation where you have a powered mobility chair where you're able to um, either be pushed or be, the child can uh, use the device to access the environment. And that's a functional goal because now if you're having it, uh, if either you have issues with your lower limbs where you're fatigued, uh, or you are able to stand, we still want that child to be able to feel that they can go uh, down to with their family to the, to the mall or to visit someone, and they're able to use their devices to access one thing to the other. And the other thing that I've alluded to uh, is the augmentative communication. These are apps that help the child to be able to communicate with their family members, with their cousins, to interact with games. And so we really want to find ways of using technology to be able the child to achieve that function no matter what special need that they have. And the other things are, uh, for example, we use our official therapies and devices to help children to put on their clothes independently. And there's a sense of achievement when they're able to do that. And this is usually very important for uh, our special needs children for adolescents. So what's important to emphasize is we want to encourage the development and practice of function without wondering about how nicely is this being done. So society, unfortunately, with stigma, we always look at niceness of doing something, but for us, we always look at the child. What is it for that child that will give them satisfaction in achieving the functional goals that they have set for themselves? And these goals keep changing as a child is growing. The other thing uh, is about family. And I always emphasize that family, the family setting is the first learning environment. And so we want families to feel empowered to make decisions about their children and to come up with a compromise as to what are the goals that they, because they're the ones who are the experts of their children. They're the ones who are aware of the needs of the child is in right now and their abilities. And because a family is a concept of a child's life, we want to really emphasize for parents that it's good that even when you're going to the clinic, that you think about what is it that um, your child uh, wants, what is it that the child wants to be able to communicate that and how can we line up with what happens in the clinic setting? And we find that when we collaborate with parents to identify the goals, um, it tends to improve therapy outcomes because you're in line with what the, what the, the doctor and the therapist want, and we're able to uh, focus on the child's strengths and their abilities. So what happens, unfortunately, is either a physical disability or even any behavior challenges significantly contributes to our parents' stress, um, and even for younger children, uh, attachments can be a problem, they really 
is uh, the parent and the child are not connecting well. It affects relationship with spouses, but people have different backgrounds and different ways of handling and coping at a special needs child. And sometimes this leads into uh, parent depression and then feeling that there's a sense of incompetence. So one of the goals has, and which you could um, most like Sylvia and the other mothers have really come up with ways of supporting and providing resources for families who are affected by um, by even COVID and the things that are happening is that people and families are coming together to help support parents, support siblings, and sometimes don't forget the grandparents also need support. So what can we do to alleviate the stress by giving breaks um, Very, um, if there's increased tone, to be able to maneuver, for example, that 
a drumstick to go up and down, there are injections that we give to be able to do that. So it's important for us as parents to allow children to pursue the things they want by adapting uh, the activities that they need. The other aspect is about friends, and we really want to encourage and foster friendship for children. Even children who have autism spectrum disorder, as they get older, they actually feel and have the desire to have friends. So we're able to provide that by either telling families to talk to like their, their siblings who have uh, cousins or neighbors who you're interacting with. How do we get them to? Uh, come in and participate and uh, have fun with other children. And the thing about friends is that studies have shown that it, it provides a sense of security and social support for the children. And even they learn about social problem-solving uh, problem skills as they interact with other children. And what matters is it's the quality of relationships rather than the number of children that is important. So even if your child has that one friend, that's good enough if that one friend is being able to help with social support and any uh, play that they're doing or activities that they're doing with your children. The other part that I really emphasize is about future. And this is really important for our youth. And because for our youth who are able to communicate, they let us know that they want to find a way to transition into the adult world where they can be the best that we can financially and socially independent. And it's important for parents to ask your children um, what their expectations are and dreams for the future. So try your best not to see the now and because um, sometimes it's very hard to see the future, but I always tell parents, push yourself to think about what your child is interested in. What special gift are you seeing them um, emphasize their children who are good in math, in music, in art. So look at the special gift that your child has when they're younger and try and find ways of them practicing and getting better at that as we uh, think about the future for this child. And usually between the age of 14 and 18, it's very important to start now actively uh, getting your child ready uh, in terms of knowledge and skills um, to transfer to adult programs and to try and have that talk with your doctor. How do we get ready for even transitioning medically from a, um, a, a pediatrician to an adult uh, doctor? And even those early conversations and even meeting those doctors can help that transition be easier for children because they find it very hard to transition from being a pediatrician to an adult doctor. And another thing that we, are, we should really try and find corporate companies and uh, companies to provide points of entry for children or young adults with special needs. And I know that, for example, Strathmore have a program for children who have autism in IT. And, um, and now it's to encourage other companies. And I know some of them even have been um, taken in at Safaricom. So there are a lot of companies who are actually advocate and push for the for special needs uh, adults to join the workforce. So something else that is important, sexuality. So as a, a child with special needs is growing up, sometimes you'll find that they, for the studies have looked at um, this with adolescents about how they feel about their bodies. And it's important to build self-esteem. Remember to tell your children that they are beautiful, that they are wonderfully made despite the differences, so they can feel okay with their bodies because they are interested in the opposite sex in terms of um, thinking about relationships. And it's important to talk to them about privacy and sexuality so that they are not taken advantage of and uh, making sure that you know where your child is so that to mitigate uh, predators who can unfortunately uh, cause there to be sexual violence or assault.
And so um, I'm open to having any questions asked about uh, any, of, any aspects of my talk. And I hope you could hear me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Susan. Yes, we, we first it was a bit low, but it picked up just automatically on its own. So yeah, let's say yes, we heard you. And yeah, as, as I had mentioned earlier, the chat box is open for any questions, but uh, I will ask um, one as we go. I'm glad that you've actually mentioned some of the discussions that we've had earlier about how we are raising our children. Like we have to think of the future, not look at them like babies and it's only here and now. We've gone through the teenage, you've talked about sexuality in the past, uh, past I think, three, four episodes. So at least we've, we've equipped the parents up until that point. So then there was a question of the here and now, the way we are suffering with COVID-19. And then there is that withdrawal mm -hmm. that parents have had to go through. And now we find that there is a lot of regression in our children. So there's a question that came in prior and they were asking like, what can we do? As a, as a parent, what can you do? So for families, there are two aspects. Um, and I know some institutions, and at, at least for me, I work in Aga Khan, we've started doing teleconsults with families because of that fear of coming into the hospital, um, of being um, you know, isolated from the services that I've been accessing. So one is to uh, set up a meeting with your doctor through the, even on phone. For me, even I take phone calls when people are struggling. And how can we come up with home programs um, that can help uh, families? So they are uh, even therapists who are coming into the home. It depends on the parents being open to that mm -hmm. because we, uh, we've learned how to social distance, we've learned how to wear our masks and to sanitize. So I tell parents to be open to someone coming to your home, just especially when you're seeing some regression um, because we will we'll try our best to dress in a way that doesn't put the child at risk just so that we can go on with, with our therapies because there are people who are predicting that this may continue even into next year. And so that we don't run into regressions and problems, um, it's good that you speak with your doctor either through teleconsult, through the phone, and allowing people to come into your homes to uh, do the therapy. Wow, okay. So well, that, that statement you made right there was a bit squarey. Until next year. <laughs> We were hoping that it's going to be sooner than that, man. Uh, okay. <laughs> but then now, oh, there's a thing I know most of us, uh, the questions that we have is like, so if I say I'll allow for that service to come to my doorstep, you know, there is that price of the economic regression that's there at the moment. Does it have like a cost effect right now or... You know, so that's why you're seeing like, yes, those options are there, but then apparently like uh, things are tight on that side. So we have to choose medication, therapy. So you'll find like some of these things we are, we are being put in a very, very tight situation on, uh, to make decisions that otherwise we would not want to make. So is it the same rate? So, so it depends on, you know, for the, for the therapists, uh, it depends on the individual therapist where there are those who are lowering late, and unfortunately, there are those who are, uh, are hiking, which is really unfortunate. But we have tried to reduce the costs of um, the teleconsult. But of course, you know, some for people who are private doctors, it works easier for them 
But when you're working for institutions, it can be a bit tricky. And so for some of my patients, what we've come up with is that what can we equip them with to try and reduce the number of times they're coming to the hospital and trying to do, um, like in terms of, if you don't need to come in for your medication, can we even go through side effects on phone? I, we're going through, for example, if you're writing for baclofen, which is used for spasticity, mm-hmm. we usually would see you almost every week as they're increasing the doses. But now we are setting up like conference calls, which we're doing, this person, I just do them for free, mm-hmm. uh, where we talk about the side effects and parents tell me what it is that they're looking for. And then are they seeing them? So we've really changed a lot of how we're doing our consultations, especially for medications and titrating them up. Um, they are, there are some aspects where you can get people to come and um, have the blood taken at your home or even to go to the nearest center where those results are sent to your doctor. So what I tell parents is that speak with your doctor, don't shy away and stay at home, that we can find a way of working with you to try and reduce this cost because everyone is suffering. It's the economic burden, it's put on families, especially with special needs, where you're trying to, like what you said, Sylvia, is it the anticonvulsant or is it the, the occupational therapy for my child? So it's very difficult for families, but please work with your therapist, work with your doctor to try and help because um, we can find a solution and we can work together to figure out even the goals, Sylvia, because you can have goals that can be pushed to later or goals that we need to deal with now. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like the developmental goals, if we say we're working on fine motor skills or we're working on the gross, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That is well put. So we have a question. Our boy is 4.5 and he has mild autism and he's not verbal yet. So he loves touching his bum and removes his socks. What, what is, what is uh, that all about? That's a parent asking. So like for... Appropriate activities. Yeah. I believe that's what she's referring to, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, I was going to say, I think it's, uh, so the thing is that for uh, children who have uh, autism is that sometimes it can be some repetitive behaviors which can be um, either, there are things that I tell parents you can ignore, but there are things, of course, like touching the bum. I always wonder whether they're constipated. Most of the times for children who are nonverbal, these are, reason for that behavior. Does that make sense? Because like now, sorry, I always say that all the time, but like now for some children who are constipated will touch their bums, will try and like, what's going on here? And so it's to watch your child figure out what, when does it happen? Like the timings of the behavior, what's the trigger when they poop, do they feel better or not? So there's a reason why your child is doing something and it's trying to figure out the reason for it. So I always push parents to, to like identify what's the behavior because the child is communicating something, uh, but we need to figure out what the trigger is. So the, the touching the bum and what is the second thing? Um, uh, there is that and then removing the socks. So removing the socks can be because the child is uh, either they are feeling hot because you can always think that, oh, it's so cold outside let me put on the socks but you can try and uh, it can be a texture thing mm-hmm. or it can be just the child is feeling uh, warm is feeling cold but it depends on the context behind it because if it's a a, a thing that the child has like it's a, like a 
an excess stimuli for the child, there are ways that we can try either by um, finding a different type of fabric for the, for the socks and seeing whether that will work better, especially if you're putting them on when you're going outside, or finding shoes that are a bit warmer if the child completely refuses. So you can try and change the texture of the socks or try and uh, find shoes that are a bit warmer. Uh, okay, yeah, that feels more like a sensory, yeah, kind of thing. I suffer with mm -hmm. that a lot. Like, so you have, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and removing and and removing. It's 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 things that we had overcome when you're talking about regression. Like now, yes, it's cold, but all our jackets have been beat because there's that sensory seeking by eating the zips and stuff like that. And then it's cold. Yes, we know it's cold, but we have to keep you know, put your socks on, put your socks on. So, uh, but then they will find also just to the parent, find which socks they're okay with. And then now the boy will be okay and then at least progress into it and embrace that. So then there is this other questions. Um, if parent, can parents get requests for scans and, eat, uh, and, and the likes like the tests so that you can, uh, before they we come, we just come with everything ready you know is that something that is being done because remember also when we come and we have very very impatient children because of the change of environment so those are some of the things that now for us you think about and you just please like I, I don't think i can hear so do we have that that being allowed because we actually appreciate what they so if you talk with your sorry Yes, uh, so uh, speak with your doctor because like now for me, the parents who tell me the child can only be seen first thing in the morning mm -hmm. or last thing in the evening. Does that make sense? Like every child is very different. Mm -hmm. And so speak with your doctors for us to arrange those accommodations for you, even when you're going to MRI. So we're able to uh, speak with the nursing managers in those different um, uh, departments. For example, if you're going for the MRI, um, if your your child is a child who does better in the evenings, when are the what are the timings? And trying to find ways of accommodating that child uh, during that time that uh, is most conducive for them. So it takes re uh, planning with both your doctor and the managers, and that we've done in the past. So it's just communicate to your doctor what the issues are, and we're able to accommodate. You probably wait a few more days, but it's better to wait so that when you come in, you're in and out. Yeah, that, that's a, that's actually a good plan. Uh, one of our our forums, those caregivers, there's a parent who was saying there's a day they went to see a doctor, and they were seeing the doctor at one in the night. So I'm only trying to imagine that what what by the time you're seeing that child, will you even be able to diagnose them correctly? Because they're tired, they're worn out. Remember, pediatric appointments because of the shortage of uh, neurologists can really take a toll on you. So I, I, I believe that's something good and we appreciate like what you're doing to try and make it easier for us as caregivers. Now, just going back to capabilities, you mentioned something about um, we focus on what they're able to do and not what, not what they cannot do. Uh, I know one of the things that I always fight with as a caregiver is the fact that I, I, there's a time I, I went to visit and I saw a child who was born roughly the same time as mine. As much as I love my child, as much as I've embraced where there is where he is, you always have, now this is for the parents, like you always have that part of you that just feels let down or something like that. <laughs> We're being vulnerable over here. So, um, now, maybe this is not in your, in, your, in your scope, but how, 
how do you bring yourself in that moment? Yes, at the end of the day, you'll remind yourself like, I know I have to take him the way he is. He's on his own. Comparison is not the best, you know, at this point. But it doesn't change the fact that as a caregiver, that those days you get tired of trying to do that OT and they can't deal of trying to do the exercises at home and you still have to balance with all these other things. What would you advise for so that that feeling of being overwhelmed that is question one let me give you two then right now also there is all these tantrums we are seeing uh, i'll tell you for free like for me my adhd child is now showing me a side i never knew yes i'm happy he's now getting verbal but then now you're like okay young man you need to get a grip you know <laughs> shouting you know getting annoyed to a level of you know throwing things across the room how do we help with this kind of behaviors that are cropping up i believe so now because you mentioned about regression so you, the confusion is is this part of regression is it some part of development and new challenges you know so how do we deal with that so we don't break down also like you said uh the caregivers are key in how the, the kids develop so a lot of uh, support, and that's a very important point Silver, that you brought up about parents. And I, and there's a grieving process, and that grieving process never, you know how they tell you about the five stages of grief, and that happens even when you have a special needs child, where there are days that are good, there are days you're sorrowful, there are days where you're coping, there are days that you're not coping. And I tell them to find, like for me, I'm very spiritual, and um, whatever, uh, form of worship of spirit that you believe in, they all have the same thing of um, God, there's a reason why, just give me the strength for this day. And you have to really talk, you have to talk with someone, whether it's your close friends, whether it's even a mental health uh, expert, because the it's a very stressful thing and especially when you're looking at other children developing uh, typically and you're like, why me? what was the reason for that and especially if people are unkind because unfortunately society also contributes to the parental stress and so uh, you have to take a few minutes in the day to just um center in and 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 talk through the emotion that you have um by either whether it's reading that bible verse or the quran verse or uh those words of affirmation and despite what is going on um the the other aspect about that there are a lot of behavioral challenges that are happening with special needs children and it's just that whole um being in the same environment in the same house and uh i'm i am i am actually advocating that like if you're in a place where if your child agrees to wear the mask that you can take a brief walk or be at the balcony just something you have to take a walk daily because that's something that um, is important. Are your children agreeing to wear masks or no? Uh, mine, uh, they actually love it. It's, 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 it's something like, I want okay. to go outside masks, so, but they, it doesn't last. You yeah. see, it's that, it's that for the moment we're living here, yeah, by the time you get down, it's given back to you. So you always be like, no, we're not going. Cause then with the regression also, and, and, and drooling. So it's a challenge. And yeah. And, and so sorry, uh, I'm on adults to be, you know, responsible, like if you know in your neighborhood that these are, are true, and most children are refusing to wear masks, whether they have special needs or even typically developing, at some point they get tired and remove them. 
And so for us, it's that emphasizing for the community to be responsible to put on their masks because the child's mask is off, but yours is on, it reduces that uh, risk of transmission. But the, the daily walks, uh, whether it's going early in the morning when people are still asleep or late in the evening, to try and take advantage of that to go down quickly and do that work just to change the, the scenery. And it's just that, um, you know, children, whether it's uh, you have autism or cerebral palsy, it's just that thing of remaining in the house and in one spot is difficult. But taking those breaks of going outside, going for those who have cars, taking your child for a drive, whether it's a long drive to uh, 10 kilometers where they're looking outside and seeing something different is something else you can also do. So mm -hmm. drives, walks, just leaving the house on a daily basis will help reduce some of those challenging behaviors. Mm -hmm. At the same time, um, if, the, if they get to the point where the child is injuring themselves, or even injuring others, it's good to now get the professionals to come in to, and they're coming uh, in the home to see what the, what can they do, like behavioral analysts able to do that, to see what the triggers of the behavior and what can parents be supported in to help reduce those behaviors. So if it escalates to a point where it's getting out of control, please do not try and manage that on your own. There are professionals who can come and help uh, reduce the challenging behaviors. So get help. Thank you very much for that. So we have another question that has come in. So she says the daughter is 10 years with autism and of late she's hugging people tight in the house and has developed a habit of touching my breast. How do I go about it? I think this is um, sexuality and changes. Yes. So uh, it's, you, have to do, you have to repetitively um, see whether the child understands like some form of communication whether it's no or uh using gestures as you you know you can gesture at the same time as you're shaking your head to try and combine both verbal and nonverbal means of communicating that that's not allowed and that's why i'm such a big um like my passion is about communication devices and starting those early because when a, when a child especially when they're less than four years of age it's very easy to teach them new skills without having that struggle and so for the younger children um the communication devices are important and even for older children you can still teach them so the parent can use both the verbal no and the, the hand gestures to keep and repetitively doing it to show that that needs to stop but that's the thing is that you're trying to teach a child how to keep their hands to themselves other strategies that we use is getting them to put their hands in their pockets so they're getting the trousers that have pockets so you're like hands in your pockets that's something that they can do repetitively so that it becomes like uh, when you want, when you feel the urge, put your hands in your pocket or fold your hands. So there are little strategies that you can use to try and teach the child that like when they get that urge to put their hands to their pocket, teaching them to put their hands to themselves. But it's very common, even in the school setting where they'll try and touch the teacher's breast or uh, a colleague's breast, but you through, um, and a lot of behavioral analysts deal with this, is that to teach them to, uh, like the pockets work really well for young men. Oh, wow. I, I can relate with that one. At least hers is a girl. Mine is a boy. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
so I, I, I'm getting to that point, like subconsciously he wants to get your attention, but it's like they're not aware of this is the no-go zone, you know, like this is a woman, this is a man. And from the last, last week's session, we had one of the teachers from KCCL take us through that. And I would advise if you could go to our YouTube channel because we have our posts there, go through that sexuality. Because she said you have to really start early and teach them what's appropriate, not appropriate, how to touch social, that, that's physical distance, who should be hugged, who should not be hugged, and, and, and the rights and the wrongs. Because at 10, she said we should start it at six. Because remember for our autistic children, you have to keep repeating, repeating. So it's never too early. So uh, WG, I'd, I'd advise you to do that. And then uh, we have another one that the, the boy is one and nine months and CP and autistic. So they have multiple disabilities and he hasn't achieved much yet. And I'm not sure if I can, he can hear. However, he can't, I don't know, this, this the new era language. CNT, that can't, okay. Can't see and is non-verbal. Wow, that's a handful. How do I like engage him in the daily activities? Because he rarely responds when I talk or call, he's just there. That's at one year and nine months. Um, so one is uh, for any child, the actually universal screening is that every child should get vision and hearing by the time they're one month of age. So it's very important that they get an audiologist. So hearing, sometimes people think it's a doctor looking into your ear, but an audiologist, we're able to do that for children who have any special needs is a test where we look at whether your brain is able to perceive sound. Because if hearing is impaired, we need to get like hearing devices because remember you can have a hearing impairment and have autism and have cerebral palsy. And so it's important that the, that the hearing is assessed just to make sure that your child can, can hear what they're saying versus saying that they're just autistic. So there are some children who have come to my clinic who've been labeled a certain way, but it's just because they were, they were, they were actually deaf. And so the second thing is that for a child who is um, visually impaired, we usually like to emphasize like using touch, uh, whether you're, especially if they can hear, where you're using touch, uh, like whether it's books, you know, the, now that they have books that have like the far, the bear has the far, they have uh, all these little things that they can use for, for touching, but it's teaching your child to uh, navigate the environment through touch and making sure it is safe for the child. But that uh, the child needs to actually be looked at to make sure that uh, what the hearing is like and making sure that uh, and actually an ophthalmologist has, made, has checked their vision so that we're able to tailor and make what needs to be done next based on what's going on with the child because hearing aids can be uh, can be given cochlear implants can be given and so those are the things that need to be to rule out any correctable medical issues before we embark on therapy okay thank you for that yeah that that's that would be very at least it's early that she's noticed it yeah and in light with time and intervention and um what we normally hear that here we we catch up with this a bit late. When it's like seven years, a child has already grown. Then we look at the brain development and interventions. Now, from that point of view, what would be the actual desirable time for us to start interventions once you realize that you have a special needs child? And the, does the brain really stop developing? Like, will it, if my child is not speaking at 10, should I write him off? 
that, okay, 10, the brain is developed, we are never gonna talk and we just accept and move on. Like, if you just take us through like the different stages, I know there is the normal, then there is what it is, and I'm sure you've seen enough miracles in your career of when things happen that you least expect, yeah. So the thing about uh, the brain development is that it starts before birth and ends at around 25. So there's that whole the, the the wide range and so every child for me i always tell parents has the ability to learn and to grow and so early intervention yes is important especially uh, less than four years of age um i tell parents if you see something is wrong as soon as you see those differences um in either uh, their gross motor skills, their fine motor skills, or communication, it's important that you don't wait so that uh, the doctor can see, make a diagnosis, and get into early intervention as soon as possible. What we're trying to take advantage of is something called neuroplasticity, meaning that, um, if, for example, if you have an injury on one part of the brain, for example, let's say you had a stroke when you're a, when you're a neonate, we tend uh, through... We're trying to take advantage of those signals being sent back from those exercises uh, back into what we call the motor cortex. So that the areas that are, the neurons that are, are okay can take advantage of the places that are injured. Does that make sense? Because so the brain is always growing and changing and we're trying to take at a time where it's forming multiple connections. And so that's why the earlier is the better the interventions so um so that's a th that's a reason why we try and do everything for at the age of four years of age um but even for those who are older anyone can learn a new skill and so it's about as silver you've said it's about practicing uh whether it's with those communication devices or practicing the 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 with the gross motor but um there are ages where for example let's talk about cerebral palsy so we have uh, something called the gross motor functioning scale. And what that does is that we're able to, each time you come to the clinic, to assess where your child is in an objective manner. So for progress, we have tools that we use to assess how your child is progressing, whether in communication, whether in their gross motor skills, whether in their fine motor skills. And so we're able to track a child's growth that way because every child grows differently. Every child gains skills differently. So we are trained, and the problem is that how a child is growing and the, the interventions that we are doing don't tally. For example, you can say, let's start speech therapy today, and you're expecting that in three months' child time, three months time your child is talking mm -hmm. um, in full sentences. But every child's brain injury is different. Every child's genetic makeup in their brain is different. And so what we emphasize is that are we making progress? And we have tools to see whether we're making progress. So the, the gross motor function tool that I was speaking about, usually by two years of age, these are certain, um, your, for example, if you haven't um, worked by the time you're a certain age or those functioning skills are not there by two to five years of age, then chances are that's where your functioning will remain. But the thing is, as a child is growing, their muscles change, their bones change. So we are able to um, come up with interventions for those changes that are happening, but the functioning may remain the same. So I tell parents that early intervention is important, but you never give up because your child has ability to to grow and to develop, it's just to work with your doctor so that we're able to 
um, assess at each endpoint. At six months, I've sent you for speech, I've sent you for OT. Where are we now? What can, are we using? Because now research uh, in uh, rehabilitation for children with special needs is constantly changing. And we're coming up with new ways to actually um, help children. And so do we need to change the strategy and the type of OT that you're getting? Do we need to change the type of speech that you're getting? Do we need a communication device? So it's very individualized and your doctor needs to be, um, uh, to monitor all that. And sometimes you get that, uh, people are jumping from one doctor to another. So the only disadvantage of that is about tracking progress and problem solving. So that's why it's, it's a lengthy answer, but that's the nutshell is every child can grow. We need to track um, uh, progress. And if you're not progressing, what's the reason? And do we need to change the type of intervention that we're giving the child? Yeah. Bingo. Then in, in line with that, there is this uh, debate that as caregivers, when you're trying to have interventions, do you have to start with OT first? Do you have to start with speech therapy first? Or like, is there a specific order or even that is um, a need basis? So the, so we tend to start in an ideal situation, everything should be going, but of course, their costs and financial constraints in families. And so you'll find that um, the goals for the family, which may or may not tally with the goal for the child, may be that you want communication first. But we find that traditionally, most people want to emphasize on, um, on walking first. But I tell parents that we have to kind of do everything because the brain, um, remember I told you about the different domains, they all work in sync with the other. And so we can get everything uh, going at the same time, but with goals of how often are we going to do something versus uh, the other thing. Because every child may have different abilities for their gross motor skills or their, or their communication skills. But ideally, everything should be going at the same time, but with goals as to what do we want to emphasize at this period, given our financial uh, um, abilities, and what is it that's more important than the other? And then what else can we support the parent with that they can do um, on their own as they're waiting to progress to another specialty? So ideally, all the OT should start, communication should start, physio should start. Um, and usually the OTs are for the younger children because of um, trying to teach them those skills. But then the physiotherapists are very important, especially uh, when the lower limbs start getting tight. So I, there are people who say, oh, I can do everything, but that's not true. All therapists have their role. And so I like to be truthful that if it's the fine motor skills, how you're using adaptive equipment, that's the OT. If it's your lower limbs in terms of whether you need a special equipment, I mean, like you're tight and you're tone and you're being unable to work, the, the physiotherapist works better. The speech therapist does both language and oral motor functioning. So everyone, it's very multidisciplinary. And even with the doctors, it's also multidisciplinary because a child may come with seizures, the neurologist sees, comes with uh, constipation, the gastro sees, comes with um, asthma. So there's a way that we um, try and coordinate care uh, for all the, with one doctor so that your child can be tracked because they're seeing multiple specialists. Okay, thank you very much. There is another question. <laughs> so my son is 10 years with autism. He has very low uh, eye contact. And so besides speech therapy, OT, and several interventions, he didn't develop speech. 
now that he has eye contact, is it too late to develop speech because he still cannot copy your sound? And most things he gets amused and starts laughing when you repeat something for him to copy. Can we introduce sign language? Yes, please introduce. For uh, why communication is important, whether it's sign language or uh, a communication device, because technology has solved a lot of problems in terms of um, the apps where you're able to communicate what you want. It's good to introduce it because when a child starts, um, the more they develop, the more they're aware of the differences, the more they get frustrated with not being able to communicate um, emotional things, their thoughts, and so it began, you get challenging behaviors and you don't have a child having challenging behaviors when they are adolescents where their hormones have already taken over. So communication devices are important, whether you want to sign or use a device, it's good to get that started. So there are children who remain nonverbal for the rest of their life and that is true and we still don't know the reason why some are nonverbal and some are not. But what's important is communication. Remember I emphasized about it's not how nicely something is done because of course, society has told us it has to be the nice way where the child is using their mouth to communicate. But whether the child is being able to engage with the environment, meaning the family, engage in the school setting by having a communication device. So they are, they are children who have cerebral palsy, um, who have been studied, who cognitively were doing okay, but they were nonverbal. And until they got the communication device, they felt like they were in a locked-in state, meaning I can hear and understand what everyone is saying, but I'm unable to communicate. And that was very depressing and mental health issues would check in. So now that we have these children who have been able to use communication devices to tell us about what they went through without their communication devices, that's the reason why we are really pushing for that because we don't even want to feel bad because they're not being able to communicate and having mental health issues like depression and anxiety. And so the communication devices are there to help alleviate a lot of the mental health issues that come from feeling bad about being different. Okay, that's good. So, and I believe uh, the one thing that we always don't get, uh, there is communication, then there is language. So there is different forms of communication. There is both, we have uh, different languages to communicate. So you have the sign language, you have body language, you have verbal, you have, we have picture exchange that's now visual, and you have, which I don't have, I missed the Tari. Uh, I said sign language, yeah? So communication, communication is, is it's very wide. So whichever you try and see which one he picks. So you can try the fixture exchange and see the, the child will be responsive. You can then try and see if you do the, um, the sign language. But I'm, in her case, I'm just trying to see the reaction that he starts laughing and he gets really amused by it. So it might be a bit of a challenge, but just try and keep trying. He, you will find his point of comfort. Yeah, because there is the where they start, if I want this, I'll go bring it to you. I'll take you where I want it. And then now at that point is when you engage them. Like you want a cup, this is the cup, okay? What do you want in the cup? You give them the options. This is milk, this is water, this is tea. You know, then now whatever they lean in, then you repeat the word. Because you see now he's focusing on not just your, you and what you're saying, but also like what else you're directing. Correct me if I'm wrong though. <laughs> Yeah, and you're right. And uh, sometimes the children, they laugh um, because they are aware of, like it's a coping mechanism. 
she's not trying to annoy you but it's a way of coping with the anxiety of knowing they don't know what exactly is being said and trying to feel a bit it's it's a way of coping so they laugh a lot sometimes when you're trying to teach them something uh, but it's not to annoy you or not that they're taking it seriously it's just a way of relieving a bit of the stress behind knowing that i can see i'm not being able to do it but let me just you know mm-hmm. laugh and joke about it as a way of coping with it so that's a coping mechanism i used to wonder days where my son used to just outburst and i'm like where's the joke you know <laughs> at least you know in time then you yeah and sometimes they're having internal conversations which is okay you don't want to stop <laughs> the fun yeah that's what it is because you'll be like oh my god like the, the, the everything is extreme then there was there was that part of the when you, you're like the shouting like they get into this space do you let them to go through that or do you stop do you do you get them to stop we have lost okay that doc has lost sound but i believe it has been a very very educative uh session for us uh in matters of uh, embracing the changes that are there and what comes what is you know it, it it's a journey which brings a lot of curveballs and uh we have to just as as a new challenge comes read a lot engage you know there are always other caregivers who have gone there before and you will be able to um, to to learn from them it's not always the same remember we said in special kids they're called special because that's exactly what they are special children and uh, you learn from them also so also enjoy as they develop take it like a new challenge so like we're talking about zero to five and like okay this is where we are we'll deal set goals and and you know there's also the power of attraction the more you're like i want my child to be able to do this by a certain point so that gives you also strength as a parent to be able to deal whatever comes you know there is no there is no um flat area there's always hills there's always trees in the middle of where you're going you have to clear paths so you will you will have to deal with them as they come to you yeah so uh, immediately that terry gets her sound back we will have her um coming back on uh, as we close because i can see we've done our one hour plus but i would like to say thank you for everyone and for the great questions because that is how that is how we learn and for those who have not followed us we are on social media and we communicate a lot through social media that is on facebook that is andy speaks for special needs persons and we have on twitter there is andy speaks then digit number 4 digit number 4 after andy speaks with an s so there we have usually every week we have conversations we have issues about rights we have issues about current affairs like last week we had taken it on with kq this week and some of the laws about disability and doctors and you know we have very very many people who always say like i want i want justice for my child because i believe they are disabled because of a doctor's uh, negligence and stuff like that did you know that actually you have the right to sue a doctor when it, you're sure it was negligence and did you know also at the national council you can get legal yes it is part of the mandate of the national council of persons with disability to support you with legal so you can 
I know, I know everyone is just thinking that's a long shot, but <laughs> that is the mandate that is under there. So if you really want to do that, you know, you have that support. Uh, thank you, G, for saying this was very educative. We appreciate it. And that's why we are here. Uh, like you see at the back here, we say we are here to advocate for the rights of our children and for you as caregivers. We also champion for our children to be integrated into this society and the community at large, uh, matter social protection and, and laws and policies. And we also educate you, we educate uh, those around us so that they get to, you know, understand and live together as a community. And then we rally each other together to ensure there is change and we get to do great stuff. Doc, are we back? I can see we are getting you back. Bingo, we're back. <laughs> so uh, did you, at least you got the question so you can just take it up from there, right? No, I didn't get the question. <laughs> okay, do I even remember the question that I had asked? Uh, do I, do I, do I, do I? I, I? I sincerely don't remember. But yes, I know it was line uh, with um, development. My other question, now that that one has zoomed, uh, there is one question that we have. Uh, what communication devices are usable for kids with unfunctional hands? That was one. And then there was another one um, about still communication. Which communication devices are available and where can we access them? So th those are the two questions that we have. All of them, they sound similar. So the, the speech therapists should have them, but there are apps that you can get uh, for communication with the Polo Portugal. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, those, so it chooses a regular like your phone or your tablet, but you're able to download the apps to be able to use them for communication. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the second question here, are, the, are there communication devices usable for kids with an unfunctional hand? Mm -hmm. um, so as far as I know, uh, there's still, uh, these are, but this is in Canada, so I don't know there are any in Kenya where they're able to interpret like even a child's eye movement and the blinking into, um, into text. And so I don't know that we have them any here, but I can find out. But those were at the research level where they're able to mm -hmm. interpret someone's uh, eye movement and they're blinking into text. Oh, wow. Those who uh, their hands don't. Yeah. That's, that's, that's in Canada. Yeah. Okay, we will try and upgrade and have that access. Let's hope that <laughs> we are able, because I know how, so yes. Please tell me we haven't lost you again. So even, yeah, sorry, so you keep dropping, so I can't even tell that you, you're still talking. I'm so sorry, Sylvia. Okay. Uh, this was still at the research level. Uh, it's the engineers. So other, we have like engineers who work very closely with, um, uh, with children, like doctors who, like not for me, other developmental institutions, where they come up with devices where the engineers are able to design apps and levels uh, for children who have um, autism. So there are all this, I believe technology will help a lot of kids with special needs. We just need to get there. <coughs> One second. I would really love to say thank you, Dr. Tari, because I'm not seeing any other questions. That means, oh, okay, there just one just popped in. All right. So how do I discourage my seven-year-old who uses some behaviors to get attention? Like he removes his trousers 
from the sitting room when going to the toilet. Even the muiko is not working. I feel you, I feel you. I go through that for the first three years. Like, I want to go pee. It doesn't matter if we are 20 in that space, you will drop the pants and go. Like, I'm like, wait, don't do it now. Like, let's do it in the toilet. <laughs> so how, how, how else do you? <laughs> oh, that's when we feel the embarrassment on their behalf. Yes, Doc, how do we deal with that? So yes, the Mwiko will not work, because I've seen she's put the Mwiko is not working. <laughs> and so it's usually through positive and rewarding that the retain when it's successful. So and it ha- you have to do it repetitively until um, he finally gets it. Uh, but the, the Mwiko will not work, but it's more of uh, when he's able to get to halfway, you know, it's like the small goals. If he's able to get the pants down at least at the door, you give him a whether it's pads or whatever, and then when he gets into the toilet, yeah, so you have to find it that it's a, a visual um, a rewarder with stars. You know how kids like the stars and the stickers and whatever mm-hmm. it is to reward the times he makes progress towards that toilet. Mm-hmm. So if he's able to get to halfway point. You reward that, get to the toilet door, reward that, finally get to the toilet, keep rewarding it. So positive reinforcement works better. If you're still struggling, that's where like the ABA therapies come in. Uh, Doc, I don't know if it's my side or your side, but you can start off having a routine where you're taking him and rewarding the good behavior. But if it escalates, that's where the ABA therapies come in. Okay, so the reward system will work. We'll, 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 try, we'll work on that one. Then another question on the side of ADHD. Um, on the side of yeah. ADHD, does it ever go away or reduce or something like that? The hyperactivity especially and concentration. Hey. Hi, Dr. Sorry, seems like the internet just pulled a very, very fast one on me. <laughs> so it kicked me out. <laughs> the new normal and its challenges, but I'm sure the answer, the answer was done. And I'm sure I'll catch up with the recording <laughs> at some point. And at the same time, I think that is a cue to tell us that, yes, we have actually almost maxed out. Our maximum is usually we try to do one and a half hours. And I am so, so grateful. I know you're, you're always on call. You're always busy. And for you to make the time to actually be here, Dr. Terry, is something that we really, really appreciate. And like you heard from the caregivers themselves, they said this is very, very educative. Because sometimes there are questions you have and you're like, who can help me? Who can save me from this? Because, you know, it's a new journey. There is no manual. That's, that's usually, I usually say it's like the saddest thing is like when you're a special needs parent, there is no manual. It's not, what, it's not a one size fits all. It's like, this is yours. Expect similarities here and there, but it's never the same. So you never know what comes your way, but we have to embrace it and we have to run with it. But at least when we have people like you who are able to guide us and at least give us some sense of direction. For me, I'm now very hopeful that at least we will be pulling our pants down in the toilet sometime soon. (laughs) Apart from that, there is hope in development and independence and living a full life. Because as a mother, That is all we want. I would love to just see him develop, you know, like see my child get to that point where he can be on his own without me 
losing my sleep, you know, because that's how it feels. Will he ever get married? Will he get into a relationship? Will he? You do all you can just to see your child happy, but it feels like it, it's not guaranteed, but we'll do it anyway, because that's why we are special needs parents. So thank you very much, Dr. Tari, and thank you everyone who has joined us today. I hope you learned something. And uh, next week, we shall be taking a break, because you remember we always say once a month, that's the same way your salary comes one Saturday to yourself. You take time to take care of you, because remember, if you are not okay, you will not be able to take care of your child. So if you need to go to the mall that day, do that. If you need that salon appointment, please do that. And remember, if your cup is not full, you'll not be able to share it. So self-care is very, very important. And next month, our first session will be on IT. I know we've heard about communication and, and gadgets and stuff like that. So we have a specialist who will be coming to us. That is Evelyn Pesina, who's uh, one of the top uh, communication specialists in, in IT, uh, screen time, how do you limit, where do we go, where we know it's safe for our children. Remember, our children really need a lot of guidance. So be sure to save that date. That will be the first Saturday of September. So, but don't forget self-care weekend, this coming weekend, and we shall see you at that time. And Maureen, thank you very much for being our sign language interpreter and for always supporting us. And uh, Dr. Terry, once again, thank you for your time. We highly, highly highly appreciated because it's one of those things that you we would really really love to have and we appreciate the fact that the hospital is actually uh, coming out i would actually love if we could have a session where uh we can bring in the parents and they can ask questions like um now that ribotril is not there we're getting new diagnoses because i'm seeing a lot of cp parents saying my children are not my child is not sleeping we're up the whole night we're crying non-stop you know just to get to understand you remember when you were saying that you're, you're doing the telecare where uh discussing even the side effects because they're very many parents who are actually actually really frustrated so if, if we would ask you to come back or organize for us a session with i know we have dr samia but we have very limited time and a lot to cover because we were discussing seizure and epilepsy but there is that part that we didn't finish on medication so we'd like to really really get to embrace and understand how to handle that and what is right, what is wrong? Because sometimes as we depend on each other also, you'll find we might make some mistakes because not every child is different. Not every child will react the same. Yes? <laughs> Good, thank you. So, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. In terms of, especially for medication, mm -hmm. I agree with you that those are individualized uh, things is because we we metabolize meaning that we break down drugs in a different way and it's based on our genetics and so we can't about all especially genetics like that Bingo. So maybe we'll just have a session on medication, side effects, what is this, what's the difference, what's the, you know, because some of us like the way we are saying that because you can't afford to go to hospital right now, you just continue with the same dosage. Maybe the child has put on weight, lost weight, it's not working and whatnot. Wow, trust you me, there is a lot going on behind the scenes. So maybe we'll, we'll plan, I'm sure we'll side chat and 
plan on it. So thank you everybody for joining. Thank you, Dr. Tari. Thank you, Maureen, for your sign language interpretation. And we will see you next month as we're taking the break for this weekend. And don't forget to do something nice for yourself. If you enjoy a glass of wine, cheers to that. If it's that hot cocoa, make sure you do that. If you just want to dip your feet in some hot water and do whatever, just love you a bit. So don't, always, don't forget yourself. That's very, very important. So we'll see you, we'll see you all in our first session of September as we discuss IT and we'll see we'll have another action-packed month of September. So have a fabulous evening and pass our love to your children. And remember, don't forget you. Thank you.